Welcome to Make It Kick-Ass, where we help leaders of growing communities bring their people together with purpose and lasting impact. Join us as we explore how to make events engaging, exciting, energizing, and profitable so that you can build a healthy, sustainable community. I'm Isaac Watson, founder and lead strategist at Kick-Ass Conferences. And I'm Nessa Jimenez, operations manager at Kick-Ass Conferences. Now let's make it kick-ass together. We are back with another episode of Make It Kick-Ass. Hi, Nessa. How are you doing? Hi, Isaac. I'm doing great. How are you? Excellent. Uh, <laughs> fresh out of that interview with Mike Pacquion, mm-hmm. it was really interesting. Got to dive into storytelling and his work as a speaker coach. Uh, if you have not listened to that episode already, this is your cue to stop and go back one and listen to it first so you have the full context of what we're about to talk about, which is our follow-up. So let's just dive right into it. We talked a lot about storytelling, and I'm curious, like, I I think I learned a lot about storytelling through Mm -hmm. that uh, that conversation. What, What stood out for you? uh as 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 an admitted bad storyteller yeah (laughs) i mean not that i'm much better as we as we learned totally (laughs) but yeah so storytelling is this thing that we we encounter every day everywhere but it's not something that most people are consciously thinking about right like we we experience it through the media we consume right books movies tv but we don't necessarily sit to look at, okay, why is does this work? Why do I like this thing versus this other thing, right? So it was really interesting to me to take that moment to sit down and talk about that because there was a couple of things uh, <clears throat> when we were talking about storytelling that uh, popped up into my mind. So first he told us about uh, TED, right? Tension, editing, and detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely say uh, detail... I, as a storyteller, I give way too much detail. (laughs) And you mentioned that as well, like you do that too. Um, But as he was explaining that, something that came to my mind is something that I've always heard that liars always add too many details. So if if you're trying to figure out if somebody's lying to you or like a tell of someone that's lying is mm-hmm. that they, they try to add details to make the story more believable. And, and all that's doing is, you know, revealing themselves of like, Hmm, that uh, I don't, I don't trust this. Right. So instead of building that trust, cause they're giving you way too much information, it, it makes you distrust. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So are you calling yourself a liar then? If yeah, you're that, a and, storyteller and, that adds too many details. And that's, that's why I was like, wait a minute. Because it is true, but at the same time, I, and I think a lot of people with ADHD, we do that because our minds are going so fast Mm -hmm. and we're thinking of so many things. And I thought it was super cool that Mike also mentioned that he had ADHD. I did not Mm -hmm. know that. So I I was like surprised and pleased to hear that. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I, I think that like... Maybe it's like a categories, right? Like liars and neurodivergent people had <laughs> <laughs> too many details. So it's either one or the other. <laughs> I'm sure that there is a Venn diagram where the two meet right. <laughs> and overlap right, right, a little right. bit. <laughs> 
of course. I hope you're not in that slice. I, yeah, no, no, no. It'll be like like the super, uh, the super like way too many details, right? Like you're both neurodivergent and lying, and like you're giving us way too much information. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, but it's interesting because like. Uh, I, I am a, a terrible liar, but I am guilty of fabricating too many details when I do lie. Mm -hmm. And I think that part of it is that uh, if you've no, if you're trying to cover up something or um, fabricate a lie, you're. Tr I think part of the mental gymnastics of that is conjuring up anything that someone could possibly ask you about the situation so that mm -hmm. you have an explanation right mm -hmm. and then in communicating that scenario to someone then all too much detail comes out and it's like wait a second this is this is a little off here right and so i think that what's interesting is that on the storytelling side the detail uh, or the the um yeah the detail that he was talking about is it's like relevant detail right like you there's enough mm -hmm. to provide there's like a baseline of context you're trying to establish mm -hmm. and then something in the detail that is anchoring the memory of the character or the the setting or whatever it is, or the action that makes it stick right and then i think following that line of thought um the snake oil salesman and like these mm -hmm. marketers online that they just you know the, their websites are like just full of information, right? And they keep the, they're trying to weave this this story to the point where you're like, yeah, this is a scam. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> and I think that's part like that's a part of uh, being a bad storyteller, but it comes from you're trying to back up your bullcrap. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that like I think. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know why, but that, that whole thing of, like, too many details is lying because he also said establishing details uh, help people imagine where they are, right? Like, visualize the situation. Mm -hmm. But I think what it also does is that it builds trust. But you can go too far to the other end. Yeah, I think you took the words right out of my mouth. The, there's a trust piece there and you have to you have to provide enough detail to establish trust to like and the trust is like trust me i'm there's a reason behind me telling you this story mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so the details need to be pertinent to that reason but if you stray too far beyond that then the person's like yeah what even like why why are you even talking about that what um mm -hmm. you know how how does that actually relate is that going to come back around in the end or not yeah and there's this concept in storytelling that it's called Chekhov's gun, where it basically says, like, in Act 1, if you're showing the audience a gun, in Act 2, somebody's going to use that gun, right? Like, something's yeah, going to yeah. happen with it, or else, why did you show it to me? And I think, especially in TV, there's so many TV shows that do this. Like, they show you the gun, which can be, you know, anything, right? And mm -hmm. then it never pays off, and it's just so unsatisfying. You know, like, <laughs> what was the point of this? <laughs> Like, I watched this show for, like, six seasons, and, like, you know, <laughs> you just left me hanging, right? Um, yeah. <clears throat> so I think that as well, in, in terms of, like, a marketing or, like, a community standpoint, community leadership standpoint, what things are you presenting to people or, or bringing up that you're not necessarily paying off? Right? Right. It... Go ahead. Yeah, no, I see this in paid membership communities where before you pay they've 
weave this great story, right? And they've told you mm-hmm. like all oh, these benefits, all these things. And then when you get into the actual, you know, program, half of the stuff that they promised or that they said that you would get, like these it's not there or it's not what not to the degree or to the quality that you were expecting, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that the other, especially as we think about like leadership, there's, um, this kind of goes back to the conversation we were having with Mike around empathy. I started to talk about it being an ego driven thing, but, Mm -hmm. you know, as we continue to talk about, we realize it really is about empathy. There can be an element of ego involved, but, um, that empathy is really key to establishing a good relationship, especially as a leader to, uh, community that they're leading and you want to establish empathy within the community members as well. And I think that story can be a really useful tool to that end because it helps, it can help kind of unite people around a core value or a purpose or a shared goal, uh, in a way that is accessible for people because they can relate to it. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, allows you to show a little bit, especially as a leader, to show some vulnerability and and whatnot. And, you know, Mike talked about how some of his uh, corporate clients really struggled with that, those aspects of vulnerability right. and acknowledging their own mistakes and things like that. I think that a lot of that is rooted in the kind of corporate hustle culture and stuff that that is starting to shift, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's not shifting fast enough or or uh, as deeply enough, but, um, any leader that can take the opportunity to work with their team or their community or whoever it is that they're, uh, they're serving and open up and share stories in a way that is more personal and human and, uh, as vulnerable will allow them to establish better connections. It builds that empathy. Right. And my creator made a really good point about sometimes the story is the talk. Mm-hmm. The story that you tell is the part that people will remember and not and not just that they remember the story, but it's because of the story that they understand like the lesson or the takeaway or like or like the main point of what you were trying to express, right? Um and speaking of storytellers, he also brought up a speaker um that he worked with during the craft what was it called craft and craft and commerce craft and commerce that you actually mentioned that same talk to me as well so i wanted to give you a chance to like tell us about that talk and why it was so good yeah uh so amy porterfield was the speaker uh she's been a known online entrepreneur for a very long time um i'd never seen her speak before um and this is the first opportunity i thought that was kind of fascinating She's giving the closing keynote. And what's funny is like Mike was describing that, you know, you may not remember anything about her talk, but everybody who was there will remember this moment that he described, which is sitting down with her, with the mediator uh, across the table from a business partner. They were trying to separate each other from the business and her finally having this moment of realization that she was willing to burn it all down and start from scratch rather than concede whatever it was, was on the table. And that was the moment. And that like, that was a, that was the most impactful talk for me out of the entire conference that I listened to. Um, I remember coming back and going, 
oh my god amy porterfield's talk was like spoken to my soul it was exactly what i needed at this time uh i resonate so much with it and yet as he was describing that i was like yeah i don't remember anything else she talked about except for that moment <laughs> and right. here we are two months right. on uh and that's that's how it lands so i think um, that story was a critical piece of illustrating what she was trying to get across. And it, it's like if there was one thing people were going to take away from her entire talk, that story was it. Yeah. And I think it was really effective because it gets across the, the ultimate point of the thing. You could remember more and have a little bit more depth around your comprehension, which is great. And I took some notes, which was also good. I also recorded a piece of yeah, it yeah, <laughs> so yeah, that I yeah. can re review it later. Um, but at the end of the day, that story is what sticks. And that is the that is the key in that context to be able to leave the audience with this really tight impression of what you're trying to say. Yeah, and when you came back from that conference, you told me about it, and the part that I remember is that same part. <laughs> yes, and and it's like Mike was saying, like I can then retell that story to someone else. I may omit a couple details. I may right. not be able to sell it with the same conviction because it didn't happen to me, but I can share that core premise with other people in this kind of encapsulated thing, and I think that's what's really powerful. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious if there are other storytellers that you've encountered in your life, whatever that, that stood out to you or specific experiences where all you remember is that core, core story told. Yeah. So in my life, like my father is an incredible storyteller. Everyone will tell you, like they love hearing him tell his stories. I did not inherit that skill. Like he, he's super funny. He's really good at creating that tension at editing like keeping it to the point right like just i don't know where he gets it from but definitely has that natural talent and like my entire life i you know everywhere we'd go where there'd be uh family gatherings or whatever like it would always end up with like my dad just telling stories about mm -hmm. things that happened to him as a kid or things that you know funny stories weird stories like to the point where it's 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 embarrassing like i have been to wakes and funerals and like uh we're trying to be like respectful and like my dad has a, a bunch of people in the back just like laughing their asses off because he's telling <laughs> their stories that like <laughs> that has nothing to do with like what's going on and my mother like looking at him like jesus christ like this is not the place you know <laughs> so yeah he, he is an in, in immediately it comes to mind just like an incredible and it's a natural talent it's not like anybody taught him to do it it's just mm -hmm. i don't know he's just so good at it um but what about what about you does anybody come to mind for you well you know you talking about your dad makes me think of one of my grandpas uh mm -hmm. who was a a mm, compulsive yarn spinner uh. right like talk <laughs> about liars adding too many details yeah. this is a man who <laughs> loved uh gathering the grandchildren around holding court and yes. telling a tall tale exactly yeah right and that yeah. was where like more detail than was necessary we were kids we didn't know any better right he was talking about yeah. left-handed side shifters and and wampus cats and whatever like you yeah. just yeah. make stuff up and it wasn't until I was, you know, probably a teenager when I started to realize that he was completely full of it. It was all, all bullshit. Lies, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and but what's interesting is that it makes you start to question some of the like 
are were there true stories in there right, right? right. um it's one thing to to imagine to you know be regaled by a story of an imaginary creature that's hiding out in the woods on a camping trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's another thing to have somebody like that whose kind of entire personality is made up of those kinds of of yarns mm-hmm. and then to have him tell a story about his childhood. And you're like, well, is, was that embellished? Yeah. Um, totally. you know, like it, it, there's a little bit of distrust there. Um, yeah. But he was certainly one of those people who could just, he would wrap people around his fingers. No. Yeah. Yeah. Wrap people yeah. around his fingers. I think is the, yeah. word, <laughs> the phrase, um, uh, in, in a similar way and, and would constantly like lean on that as his core personality trait. Right. And regardless of the stories being true or not, like I know over the years, my dad's stories, like the details have changed, you know, they've gotten, a. uh, some stories have become like one story, right. From like two or three. Mm-hmm. And, but, those are the people that others remember right and people will remember the, their stories like i have a i have a neighbor who just loves my father and like he, he he'll come over sometimes and like request stories <laughs> and you know my tell dad loves story. to tell yeah so, and my dad like god you know and he gets him started and there he goes you know what i mean like it's just yeah. it's just yeah, it's it's a great skill, and, and people we gravitate towards it. I know that you in our conversation with Mike, you mentioned that like we're hardwired for a story, right? Like it's just yeah. in our it's in our genes. Like for as long as there has been people, right? Before recorded history, like that's how we shared yes. important information, all that stuff through stories. Absolutely, and I think that even in the case of my grandpa, where or maybe even in in the case of your dad. Um, even if there's inconsistencies or if they're half-baked stories or they're yarns or tall tales Mm -hmm. or whatever, there's still a uniting effect around them. Like Mm -hmm. I can get together with any of my cousins now as we are full-fledged adults. My grandpa died, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago. And we can sit around and we can all recollect the stories that he told you could say one where we could say left-handed side shifter and we'd all start laughing and it was like this shared moment that we yes. had in time yes um and so i think that to that end stories are really useful and and very very powerful the one other example that actually just popped in my head a minute ago um i had a my eighth grade math teacher mm-hmm. eighth grade no not eighth grade i was in high school 10th grade math teacher um she we get into class. I think this was pre-calculus. Okay, probably. Pro- it was, I think it was pre-calculus. Yeah. We get into class, and she launches into this, like, historical tale mm-hmm. about um, cannonballs on ships and the math that needed to be used to fabricate these things to keep them from the pyramids of balls from falling. Anyway, I don't remember the story. All I remember is the punchline, which was all just one gigantic joke that ended with, and that's how we get the saying, it's cold enough to freeze the balls off a brass monkey. (laughs) I like, I think about that now and like, what the hell was a 10th grade math teacher doing? Talking about (laughs) talking about that and and how was that used to teach pre-calculus yeah like how Um, (laughs) but like but there's like it was a story and the punchline like every every time i hear that phrase i think of that teacher and that particular math class wherein i did not learn a thing (laughs) 
Nice. Yeah, no, I was, I, I've always been terrible at math, so same. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but following that vein then, and, and this is actually something that I've thought about to the point where like one day I would like to figure out how to give a talk about this, but mm-hmm. connecting storytelling back to when, when we were building communities or le- learning about communities, studying them, storytelling can also play a part in, in, what's called shared language right and shared languages is what also strengthens community ties and deepens relationships among people and Mm -hmm. so uh, you can be like you said with your grandpa like you'll say a phrase and in front of the right people like everybody knows what's up right everybody knows Mm -hmm. what you're talking about and you have a little moment and you have a little laugh while people who weren't there who don't know what that means might be a little confused, but it also might spark curiosity where someone will ask like, what's that about? And then that's an opportunity to invite someone in to that group, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's opportunity there to grow the group through that shared language, through that storytelling. So I think that, that it forms an essential part, even if we're not consciously thinking about it. But I think yes. we should give more conscious thought to that. Um, yeah. Now, moving on to uh, another part of our conversation. This, I'm glad, I don't even remember who asked the question, but I'm glad that we asked about like narrative versus story. Because yeah. honestly, I did not understand that difference. And so I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Like As he was explaining that to us, like what, what was your reaction to that? I mean, I think I said as much at the time, but like he started explaining Mm -hmm. what one of them was. And I thought he was talking about story and it turned out he was talking about narrative. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think that that right there illustrated that it was a useful question to ask, um, Mm -hmm. at least for my benefit. Um, I think what's interesting, I mean, we think about narrative a lot in the context of the work we do, um, especially around like an MC or a host for an event. Mm. Um, we always try to find somebody who can help kind of weave that thread or thread that need, I'm mixing my metaphors now, but who can, um, create that tie a narrative between all of the talks or at least encapsulate and relate them to each other Mm -hmm. to help the audience follow along that journey. We also, when we look at a speaker lineup, we look at their topics and we, we try to construct a little bit of a narrative as well. That could just be thematic um, segments. That could be um, something like, you know, a, maybe there's a beginning, middle, end to right. things or beginner, intermediate, advanced. Like whatever that is, we, we try to weave some narrative into uh, the program because doing so helps reduce friction for the audience. It helps increase comprehension and it helps build upon topics in a way that can be really beneficial at the outcome. Um, so it was interesting to hear him talk about that in the context of giving a talk and how a story is often a segment within a larger narrative mm-hmm. that you're trying, like a story is used as an example or a um, connection point or a um, kind of an inflection in this like journey, you know, whether that's the hero's journey trope or mm-hmm. um, some other aspect. I mean, he gave the example of the person who hacked the dating algorithm or whatever, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and how 
the the narrative was I started here, which in and of itself was kind of a story, but like the broad journey of I started here frustrated with dating, I figured out how to work the system, and now I've lived heavily ever after. But right. the stories were embedded in that as as points along the way, and I thought that was really interesting. Right, and us as as producers, when we have speakers on stage, we never want the audience asking like where is this going or how does this fit what's the point right and what what you were saying earlier about like mcs and hosts having someone with that talent to say okay we had this talk now we're going to move on to the next one and being able to to bring them along and and help them the audience connect like why why this order why this and now this other one right or even within a talk if 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 someone's telling a story but uh, I'm not understanding the point. Like, where's this going? Like, great. You told right. the story, but how does this fit in? Where, where are you taking me? Um, right. Yeah. And, I, and that's not to say that the audience is dumb or can't get it. It's that, you know, as, as a host of an event, as an organizer, you are inviting people into your space for a specific mm-hmm. reason that you have decided needs to exist. And so you need to help lead them along that journey so that they know where to go, know like what you're trying to get across. And if you, through either an MC or a host or, or some other kind of format, can help guide people through that narrative, like I said, it's going to reduce friction, right? You're not going to mm-hmm. get as much cognitive dissonance. You're not going to get as much... Um, confusion over or or even like understanding like was this was this like back-to-back lineup intentional or is this purely circumstantial right right like we've had conferences in the past where like core themes emerge across the topics it's like Mm -hmm. oh so and so touched on this here and then you know later on in the day someone else touched on the same thing but went a little bit different direction with it and then we built on it here like that can be intentional and so taking the opportunity to you know, build the trust with the audience and take them along on that journey is really, really useful because they don't necessarily know that that's where you're going to go or how to get there. Right. And and then even stepping back a little from that, you get an audience, if, if it's not done well, you have an audience member going, is this for me? Like, is this, should I be here? Right. right? It, you know, when, when it's done badly, because they're not, they're not on board. They're like totally lost. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's like Mike was wondering. saying, like, you get one huh. And the second you get a second huh moment, you've lost yeah. them. It's yeah. done. It's over. Yeah. They've disengaged there. If it's a virtual event, they've closed the, the window, right? They're doing mm-hmm. other stuff. They're at the event. They're, they're on their phone, right? Like if it's in person, right? They might not walk out, but they'll be on their phone or they're just confused. And, 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 and uh, I think Mike brought up a great point. And I think... Overall, like the biggest takeaway for me was when he said people are looking for relatable and not remarkable. Mm-hmm. So, so we're not uh, people aren't expecting like these wild, like amazing stories to feel connected. They want to have an experience that is relatable to them, even mm-hmm. though that's not their specific experience right like your story yeah. might be something that happened to you, but they get it on a human level. Yes. And that relation, that is the empathy piece. 
which I think is exactly. critical to everything. Um, we talk a lot about context mm -hmm. in the work that we do and how mm -hmm. important that context is. And honestly, that context just fuels our empathy for what it is our clients are trying to achieve or how we're trying to establish empathy with, with their audience members. Yeah, and the kind of stories that make sense for that audience, if we're talking about context, right? Understanding the audience, who they are, where they're coming from. You don't want to tell a story that makes no sense for them, right? Like maybe they, they don't have the cultural context for the story, right? right? And then instead of helping make your point or helping the audience, you've just alienated them because they have no frame of reference for what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah. I think if I can bring it all back to this kind of overarching theme or narrative that we are constructing with this season of the podcast, because it is also <laughs> intentional, is that storytelling is an innate human connection point, And that by focusing on storytelling in the work that we do, in the communities that we lead, in how we present content from stage, we can make events more human. And we are trying to make a more pro-human environment and pro-human workplace. And so I think that's like, that's the core for me. Tell more stories, be more human, connect with more people, and we'll all be better for it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Make It Kick-Ass. We hope you found it entertaining and helpful. If hosting a community event is on your radar, visit GetEventLab.com to take our free 30-minute training called Community Event Mastery. That's GetEventLab.com or use the link in the show notes. Make It Kick-Ass is hosted by Isaac Watson and Nessa Jimenez. Post-production audio by Chris Nelson at Mittens Media. Our theme song is Feel It by Dojo for Crooks. Make It Kick-Ass is a production of Kick-Ass Conferences, an event strategy and design agency serving leaders of growing communities.